Uh, before we read from Mark chapter 3, I want to give just a little bit of a connection uh, to last week and to previous weeks and a little, bit of a, a little bit of an overview. Last week with Daniel, we took a look at the good news in conflict. You've been hearing that. Each week we're thinking about the good news in some sort of sense or way that Mark gives it to us in his gospel. And Daniel showed us that there's this underlying tension that was going on between Jesus and the religious leaders. And what it ultimately ended up with at the beginning of Mark chapter 3 was this clear desire from the religious leaders to get to Jesus and to, uh, to destroy him. Well, this week what we're going to do is we're going to turn from that scene, from the religious leaders, and we're going to take a look at the masses a little bit, uh, at, at those who've been gathering to hear from Jesus. Um, and we're also going to take a look at the disciples as well. And what I want us to see this morning is the good news in chaos, the good news in, in, in chaos. Um, so with that, we're going we're, we're gonna to read Mark chapter 3. Um, one thing before we do that, uh, over my years of pastoral ministry, uh, it, it's become pretty evident and clear to me that God seems to be really interested in bringing people uh, to worship, to gather together and worship. And in the midst of bringing his people to gather together to, to, to worship, he brings people who aren't exactly sure what to make of Jesus and not sure what to make of the church and what to make of Christianity. So I, I assume that some of you in here are, are like that and you're asking questions and you're investigating. And so uh, I, I want to, to propose a few questions to you as we think about this text together this morning. Um, first is, what if there is a God? What if there is a God? And what if that God wants a relationship with you? And what if that relationship is fully and finally met and seen in Jesus Christ? So those are, those are some things that I want you to think about. And for those of you that you come here every week, we're like, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm with it. I've got a few questions for you. What if there is a God? What if he wants a relationship with you? And what if that relationship is fully and finally met and seen in Jesus Christ? The point is, is that we all need the same thing. We never get past needing Jesus. We never get beyond the gospel. Jesus is the A to Z of Christianity. So with that, this is God's word. Mark chapter 3 this morning. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray together and ask God uh, to help us understand uh, his word this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, we are waiting for you, and it's on your word that we will rely. Uh, We just sang those words. And as we come to your word given to us to show us how much you love us and care for us, and how much you want to have a relationship with us, we pray that we would see that that relationship is fully and finally met and seen in Jesus this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take away anything from us that's keeping us from coming to Jesus, that you would have your way with us, that you would make Jesus more beautiful and more believable to us this morning. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, we looked at this underlying tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And today, we're going to look at this underlying question that we see amongst those who seem to be encountering Jesus. And that question is that it seems that everybody that Jesus is encountering, that they're thinking about, that's underneath, some of them are even asking, is who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Who is this guy who seems to be teaching with an authority that we've never seen before? Who is this guy who it seems as if all we have to do is touch him and we're healed of our infirmities and our diseases and sicknesses? Who is Jesus is the underlying question that everyone is asking themselves as they encounter him in Mark's gospel. And I think that's a good question for us to wrestle with today too. And actually it's at some senses it's kind of an age old question. It's a question that people are still asking today, and maybe you're asking that today as you sit in here as well, too. So I think that it's a good question for us to wrestle with. So what I did uh, uh, this past week is I went to the reliable resource that is YouTube to see what people had to say about who this Jesus is. And there are a number of videos that are on YouTube. You can go and check them out for yourself. But here's just a few responses that people had to this question of who is Jesus. Some people said, he's just a normal guy. Just a normal guy like you, like me. Some said, Jesus was a completely selfless person. One man said, that if David Copperfield were alive in Jesus' day, he would be Jesus. Some said, he's not the son of God. Some said, I don't really have an opinion about Jesus uh, because I think that religion was created to control the masses. Some said he was enlightened spiritually and morally. Some said, I think Jesus was really misinterpreted by a lot of people. One person said, I think he was a marketing genius because he got everybody to believe him. And one person said, I think Jesus saw something in other people that other people didn't see and still don't see today. Who is Jesus Who is Jesus is the most important question that any of us could ask, that any of us could entertain, that any of us could investigate. 
And what I want us to see this morning from Mark chapter 3 is that Mark 3 gives us a clear answer of who Jesus is. And so it's right up front. Mark is not interested in burying the lead of his gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He starts out his gospel with that, and it's embedded and included in our text that we have here today. So that's Mark's answer to this question. But how do we get there with that? How do we get there in this passage with that? Well, I've got a few things that I want us to look at this morning. The first is that I want us to look at the mob, then the 12, and then I've got a few takeaways for us. So if you're a note taker, that's sort of our structure this morning, the mob, the 12, and takeaways. So the mob, we run into Jesus in verse seven, and there's a mob of people who seem to be gathering around him. Remember, this is the good news and chaos that we get here this morning. Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing. And then in verse seven, we see that Jesus withdrew from where he was at to go to the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is kind of situated right around there. And then we see there's this great crowd of people that seem to be gathering around Jesus. And then we see where all of these people have come from. And they've come from as far north as a town called Sidon and as far south as a town called Idumea. And if you were to go and you were to look on a map of Israel, you could still see those towns to this day. And roughly between Sidon and Idumea is about 300 miles Okay, And then all of the other towns that are in there are somewhere in between there. And the point is, the word is out about Jesus. People are talking about Jesus. He's getting around. What it is that he's doing, what it is that he is teaching is making the rounds around Israel so far as 300 miles away from each other. Jesus is compelling enough to people for people to travel days to come and see him. Days without knowing exactly where it is that Jesus even is. Newsflash, Jesus didn't have the Find My app on his iPhone. Okay, so like when, when people are coming to find him, they don't know. Maybe he's going to be where they think he is. Maybe not. But it is worth it to them to come and see who this Jesus is. Why? 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 Why would people do that? Why would people drop everything to come and see who this Jesus is? Well, verse 8 tells us that they had heard about what Jesus was doing. So people are willing to drop everything that they are doing just to come and see who this Jesus is. And then in verse 9, we begin to see that the mob is so big and it's so pressing around Jesus that Jesus is worried about getting crushed by all of these people. And you can kind of understand why. Just in the news in the course of the last like three weeks, we've had major events, world events, where people have been in massive crowds of people and hundreds of people have died and been crushed and, 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 and been sort of like bowled over. So you can understand why Jesus would be concerned about what's going on. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that kind of situation? You ever been in the kind of situation where you're like, I got to get out of here, right? We can, we can sort of put ourselves in the shoes of what's happening inside of this story. When I was, uh, I, I'd graduated college, I went and lived in the country of Nepal for a bit. 
and, uh, and, and spent time up around Mount Everest and, and all of that. And there, uh, there was a town uh, up there called Namchi Bazaar. And every year during the summer, they had a massive festival up in the mountains called Doomji. And all of the people from all of the towns would gather together to come to this festival. Sound familiar? People are gathering together to come see who this Jesus is. And I remember being in this building that was probably about mm, three times the size of this room. And I started to get that feeling of like, there's a lot of people in here. And it's starting to feel tight. And I'm starting to feel like pressed in and, and pressed on and, and had that thought going through my mind, I got to get out of here. You ever been there? You ever been in those kinds of situations where you're like, I've got to get out of here? Well, that's Jesus's response to what's going on. He's like, hey, we got to get out of here. So he looks at his disciples. He says, hey, you guys got to go get a boat. We got to figure out how to get on the water because these people are going to crush me. They're going to they're going to kill me. And then in verse 10, we get a fuller answer to why these crowds are so pressing, so willing to get so close to Jesus that they might even crush him. And that is that Jesus has been healing people. He had healed many so that all who had diseases, they pressed around him just so they could touch him, just so they could touch Jesus. And so it's as if the crowd thinks of Jesus as he's like magic. If I can just get to him, if I can just touch him, then he can heal whatever it is that is going on with me. And then in verse 11, we get a real interesting twist in this story. We're introduced to these unclean spirits who seem to be there as well too. Don't know exactly how it is that these unclean spirits are being Manifest, But here's what we do know, that in the presence of Jesus, these unclean spirits cannot stand. Like they have to bow down. And so they bow down to Jesus and they make this incredible announcement. They answer the question, who is Jesus? And they say, you are the son of God. From these unclean spirits, pretty unlikely. And this bow down that they're doing, it's a posture of inferiority. That in the presence of Jesus, they don't have the ability to stand. They cannot overcome his authority. And that's actually the point of verse 12 where Jesus commands them not to tell anyone. It's not that Jesus is rejecting what they've just said. It's that Jesus is exercising complete authority over these unclean spirits. Well, that's the mob scene. That's the good news in the midst of chaos, that the Son of God is in the midst of the chaos. So let's turn and take a look at the 12. The 12. In the midst of chaos, what does Jesus do? He gets away. He gets away ultimately to, to try and find a calm place, a quiet place. We're not sure if they actually do get the boat for him, and that's how he gets away, or if they just out-hiked everybody. Not totally sure. Um, but where they are is they are on top of a mountain. They're on top of a mountain. And look, these mountains that are around the Sea of Galilee, where they're at, they're not, they're not hills. Um, they're legitimate mountains like the ones that we get to experience out here, which is really kind of interesting. Because back east, I grew up in the, in the southeast, people will talk about mountains. And I, and I love the Appalachian Mountains. They're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But 
Those, those ain't mountains, like, like the mountains that we've, got, uh, that we've got out here. But so they're, they're on the top of this mountain, so we can get there, right? And what Jesus does is he calls those that he desires to himself. And this idea of calling here in this passage is more along the lines of these disciples that he is calling could not resist it. They couldn't resist it. It's, it's almost more like the idea of willing something to happen. Jesus wills them to come to him. They cannot resist it. And they come and Jesus appoints them and he appoints them to be with him. And then he appoints them to send them out to preach the good news, to cast out demons in his name in Jesus's authority. And what I want us to see within this calling of the 12 here is just how completely Jesus-centric Mark is. Unapologetically, Jesus is the center of all of this. Jesus does all of this. Jesus is the one with the authority to call, with the authority to appoint, with the authority to send out, with the authority to cast out. And in that day and time, like we're reading it here, And we read that and we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. But in that day and time, there's a nuance that exists that would have been really jarring to anyone who would have been called by Jesus here. Because in Jesus's day, this is not exactly how teacher-student relationships worked. It wasn't that Jesus is the one who is appointing and willing and they cannot resist it and cannot come. In Jesus' day, the way that a teacher-student relationship worked was more like a mutual investigation of one another and a choice that I kind of check you out as the teacher. You sort of check me out as the student. And maybe we make a decision we're going to sort of work together. That's not how Jesus is. That's not how Jesus works. He is the one with the authority. He is the one who solely chooses. This whole thing is communicating Jesus's ultimate authority. And this language of calling and bringing these 12 to him is actually the same language that we see in Genesis chapter 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth. He calls it into existence. He wills it to happen. There is an ultimate authority. Jesus is using that same kind of language as he summons the disciples to come to him. And then we get the names of these 12 disciples. I want to read back through those, verses 16 through 19. Jesus appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the twelve. These are the twelve that Jesus calls to himself. So we've taken a look at the mob. We've taken a look at the twelve Now let's talk about a few takeaways that we have uh, from this passage. And I've got two. I've got two takeaways for us this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and up front tell you that the first one's a lot longer than the second one. (laughs) The first takeaway is this. The first takeaway is the real Jesus. That's the first takeaway from this passage. Remember, Mark does not bury the lead of his gospel. 
The very first verse of the Gospel of Mark tells us that it is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The real Jesus is the Son of God. The one who is sent by his Father to save his people from their sin. That's who the real Jesus is. Mark is very clear about that. But how does the mob see Jesus? As we see the mob interact with Jesus, how does the mob see Jesus? The mob sees Jesus kind of like this miracle worker. Jesus is sort of like magic. If I can get to him and touch him, then he can, he can do what I want him to do for me. In a lot of ways, the mob is thinking of Jesus more like a genie in a bottle. Like if I had some wishes and I rubbed the lamp, then Jesus could make my wishes happen. You see, the mob is interested in Jesus for what he can do for them, not for who he is, but for what he can do for them. They're interested in him because he can heal them. He can fix their infirmities. He can fix their problems. They are asking, what can Jesus do for me if I can just get to him and I can just touch him? That's a good question for us this morning as well, too. Are we just interested in what Jesus can do for us? Is that why we're interested in Jesus? Is that who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus just the miracle worker? Is he magic? Is he genie in a bottle? Are you here this morning because you think that Jesus will fix your problems? Are you here because you think Jesus will will heal your diseases and your infirmities? Are you here because you think Jesus will fix your marriage? Will fix your money problems? And the question is, are, are, are we just interested in Jesus because of what we think that he can do for us and what we think that he can get for us? I, I'll bring it into my own life. <laughs> um, my children are growing. They're becoming teenagers and everything. And let me tell you, parenting looks really different than it did five years ago in my house. And the conversations that I'm having with my children now are so hard. And you know what? Here's the thing. I only anticipate they're going to get harder. They're just going to get harder. And you know what? I just want Jesus to fix it. I just want him to fix it. I want, I, 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 want to, I want to be done away with it. I don't want to have to go through the hardness and the difficulty of the conversations that I'm having as a parent right now. I just need Jesus to come in and be my genie in a bottle and just fix everything so that my kids will do everything that I want them to do and everything that I think that they should do. As if I know better than God does what my kids need. I just want Jesus to fix it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling like that as a parent. My best friend, my best friend in the whole world has recurring colon cancer right now. He's 46 years old and, and, and he's healthy otherwise. And I just want it fixed. I just want it to go away. I don't want... Dave, to have to go through the hardship of having cancer and having to process through that. And what does that mean for his life? And what does that mean for his future and for his family? I just want it fixed. 
I just want a Jesus who can come and fix my problems if I'm really, truly, genuinely honest. And look, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is there for you. Jesus is interested in you. Jesus wants to know what troubles and problems you're having. Jesus is with you in the midst of the struggles and the pain and the hardship and the disease and the cancer and the parenting and your marriage and your money issues. Jesus is absolutely there for you. But here's what you need to know. Jesus wants a relationship with you in that, not a transaction. That's not what Jesus is interested in. He's not interested in being a genie in a bottle. He's interested in being your savior. He's interested in being your shepherd. He's interested in being there with you and for you and showing you that there is coming a day when all things will be made new. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants us to see who he is, that he's the son of God, that he is the savior. Well, there's another element of people who are here in the midst of this mob too. And these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. You can have both of these things going on. But there's another element here because Israel is in a position in this day and time where they aren't the ones who actually have authority over governing their people. The Roman government governs Israel. And so there's also an element of people who are here, who are in the midst of Jesus, who are hearing Jesus teach, who are seeing Jesus heal people, who are really interested in Jesus because they think that Jesus will champion their agenda. That Jesus could be their general. That Jesus could get them power back. They're tired of being governed by the Roman government. They want to govern themselves. They want the power that they had in the days of King David. They want Jesus to be their stamp of approval. They want Jesus to use this power that he's got, that he can heal people with, to overthrow the government and to bring power back to Israel. They are interested in Jesus promoting their agenda, in Jesus being their general. How about you? How about me? What's your agenda? What's, what, what's my agenda? What agenda do I want Jesus to promote for me? What agenda do you want Jesus to promote for you? Over the course of the last few years, I, I, I think we've seen some pretty startling examples of what some people who would claim to follow Jesus want Jesus to promote in their agenda. And, and, and I'm just going to give us a few examples. And, and, and look, this is, we got to come to grips with this stuff. We got to be honest about this stuff. We, we, we've got we've to share and, and, and be honest at some levels. Maybe there's some of us in here, maybe not, but I've certainly seen it. There are people who call themselves Christians who are really just interested in Jesus promoting their conservative political agenda. There are those who are interested in Jesus just promoting their liberal political agenda. Or, if you're in neither of those camps, your libertarian political agenda. There are people who are just really interested in Jesus promoting 
There's Second Amendment agenda. There's sexuality agenda. There's schooling agenda. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me, and I'm really just interested in promoting the agenda of my awesomeness. <laughs> maybe, may, may, maybe you're like me in that. That, that really... I'm interested in Jesus promoting the agenda of JP. I'm really interested in Jesus promoting the party of JP. Like really at the end of the day. That I want Jesus to promote the agenda of John Paul, the best husband in the world. (laughs) The best dad in the world. Pastor extraordinaire. Church planning king. I'm really, I struggle with wanting Jesus to just promote my agenda. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? What's interesting is that we receive the truth of who Jesus is from the most unlikely of places. From a bunch of unclean spirits. They are the ones who proclaim and announce who this really is in the midst of the mob, in the midst of the chaos, that Jesus is the son of God. And it connects us all the way back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, which is about the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Who is Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? He's the son of God. He's the savior He is the good news in the flesh. And we've got to hear that. And it tells us something about ourselves because if we need good news, what that means is that we live in a state of bad news. That we live in a place where we need good. That we live in a state where things are bad, where we are committed to the agenda of self. And what the Bible calls that is sin. It's really clear about that. It's really clear. And it goes all the way back to the beginning when God created everything. And he said, this is really good. Humanity is made in my image to have a relationship with me and with each other and the place where I have put them. But we traded it. We traded it because we thought that we knew better. Adam and Eve traded it because they thought that they knew better. And we too fall in the same line as them. And the Bible calls that sin. And that's bad news because it means that we're on a path of destruction. And what God desires to do is to bring us good news. Good news of a redeemer who is coming to save us from the bad news. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is come to be the good news to die for our sin, to go to the cross, to take our place. The Son of God becomes man and he lays down his life for all of those who would believe in him and receive what it is that he has done in his life, in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. In order to understand the real Jesus We have to believe who he is and we have to receive what it is that he has done for us. And that's different than these unclean spirits because they believe, but they're not really interested in Jesus's authority. They're not really interested in actually receiving what it is that Jesus has done for them and submitting and giving themselves to him. What about you? 
What about you? Do you believe, but not really interested in Jesus's authority in your life? Do I believe, but I'm looking at Jesus and saying, no, you can't go there. You're not welcomed there. Where's Jesus not welcomed in your life? Is it, is it with your relationships? Is it with your job? Is it with your character? Is it with your weekends? With your weeknights? I've got a hunch that the places where Jesus is not welcome in our lives is also the places where we just want Jesus to fix it. It's the same places where we just want a transaction and not really a relationship. And a few weeks ago, Chad used this, uh, this illustration from a writer named Barbara Boyd where he talked about the universe and how big it is and everything. You guys remember that? And he summed it up with this. With, <laughs> is that the kind of person you want to be your assistant? Is Jesus your assistant? Jesus will not be an assistant. He's not a co-pilot. He's not a consultant. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the savior of our sin. He won't be peddled for our agendas. He's not interested in being our genie or our general. Jesus isn't our miracle worker or our lobbyist. He's only interested in being one thing, in being our savior. And that means that he is going to up in any and everything that keeps you and me away from him that keeps us from thinking that we need anything less than the real Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior. And here's what that means practically. Practically what that means is that Jesus will work on us. He's going to work on us. He's going to work on you. He's going to work on me. And, and what he's going to do is he's going to bring us to who we really are. He's going to bring us to a point of opening our eyes to see who we really are and opening our eyes to our agendas and to the places where we say, oh, Jesus, you can't come there, where he's not welcome. The ways that we just want him for what he can do for us as our genie or what agenda he can push for us as our general. And what he's going to do is he's going to open our eyes and remove the self-interest sleep that's in our eyes and wipe it away and see that we don't need a genie. We don't need a general. What we need is a savior. And he's there waiting with arms wide open. Come to me, lay it down. There's unending grace that exists right here. That's a gift that I'm giving you. You can't you can't build it up. You can't work yourself into a place to save yourself, to get out of your sin. You have to have me. I am grace, undeserved, unmerited gift. And what he does is he gives us life. Life we would never even imagine for ourselves. He'll move us from destruction to flourishing, from pride to humility, from selfishness to sacrifice, from greed to generosity, from anger to joy, from hate to love, from apathy to Holy Spirit-filled commitment, from agenda to submission, 
submission to him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection because he's the son of God. He is the savior. That's our first takeaway. Second takeaway, I promise this one's shorter. Jesus, the second takeaway is this. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. After the mob, after answering the question of who is Jesus, which is answered to us by these unclean spirits, Jesus gets away with his disciples and he calls who he desires and he appoints them to be with him, to follow him, to preach in his name, to cast out in his, in his authority. And it is a ragtag bunch of people, y'all. It's a ragtag bunch of people. We read through those names. And here's what kinds of people that Jesus calls. This is just, this is some examples of who these 12 are. In these 12, you've got fishermen. You've got some business owners. You've got rich IRS agents for the government of Rome. You've got an anarchist who wants to throw over the Roman government. You've got the prideful. You've got the agenda driven. There's a thief. There's hotheads. There's stoics. There's betrayers. There's brawlers. There's diplomats and day laborers. There's the elite, the middle class, the working poor. There's the generationally wealthy and the paycheck to paycheck and the no check at all. And the point is, is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And Jesus is interested in bringing all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds together as his people. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for me. Believe it. Receive it. Whoever you are this morning, wherever it is that you've come from, Jesus is for you. Now, for those of you who are in here who would say, yeah, like I'm committed, I'm following Jesus. I've got a, 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 a little bit for you here, okay? So if that's you, here's a question that I have for you. Do you have a burden for those who are far away from Jesus? Is your heart burdened for those who don't know Jesus? Do, do you have people in your life who don't know Jesus? If you don't, you, you need to get some. Because Jesus was really interested in people who didn't know who he was. Jesus was very interested in drawing out and bringing people to himself who didn't believe in him and who didn't receive him. Jesus was interested in building relationships with people. Do you have a heart for that? Are you burdened for that appropriately? Not that all of the weight is on you. Because remember, Jesus is the one who's the ultimate authority. He's the one who calls. He's the one who changes. He's the one who, who appoints. But are you building relationships with people who don't believe the same thing that you do? And, and genuinely building relationships genuinely loving people, not looking at people as projects, but, but as those who bear God's image in his world in the same way that you do, needing the same thing that you do, which is needing the good news. Are you spending time with those people? Are you curious and interested in all kinds of people? 
as Jesus is, and we should be too, as those who are followers of Jesus. But here's what's true. Before you can tell anyone that Jesus is for them, he has to be for you first. He has to be for me first. We need to come and we need to hear the good news every single week. We all need the same thing. Whether you're here every week or whether you're not sure why you even came here today. Jesus is for you. He's for me. He's not just an enlightened teacher. He's not a marketing genius. Jesus isn't a genie or a general. He's the son of God. He's the savior. He's the one who loved us all the way to the cross. So if you're here and you're hearing this, Jesus is for you. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you and coming after you to come to grips with who you really and truly are in your own life, to come to grips with your motives and your desires and your agendas and to bring those things to him and to believe and to receive his life for yours, to receive the one for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you, for me, the son of God, the savior, That's the invitation. Come to him. Come to him. He will give you life. He will show you that in him, all is grace. All is grace in him. And all is gift in him, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection for you and for me. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you do bring us together that you call us together, we thank you that you gave your one and only son, that we would not continue in a path of destruction and death, but that we would have flourishing and we would have life and even life everlasting in him and what he has done. Jesus, would you do whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do through the power of your spirit And Holy Spirit, would you come and invade our hearts and do whatever you need to do to bring us to Jesus, to bring us to see that life with him is so much better, so much greater than anything that we could ever imagine. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.